This week on The Clubhouse, Anthony and I continue our stadium road trip through the Midwest. If you haven't gotten a chance to listen to our last road trip show, I recommend you start with episode 16 so you can follow along from ballpark to ballpark. With the moonlight guiding us towards Minneapolis, we chatted about our experiences at U.S. Cellular Field, Wrigley Field, and Miller Park. We witnessed a scary episode in Milwaukee, which led us to discussing the issue of fan safety in the stands. This episode was recorded in our rental car as we drove towards Target Field. Blue Jays win it! Touch them all, Joe! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life! Got him! 20 strikeouts! He ties the Major League record! There it goes! See ya! I don't believe what I just saw! He's out by five feet at the plate! And that was the worst base running in the history of the game! Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. It is a nighttime record here for the Clubhouse Podcast. We have passed the midnight hour and we are driving down I-94, heading from Milwaukee towards Minnesota. You just say Milwaukee? I did say Milwaukee. (laughs) Have we not seen the cinema classic Wayne's World? Oh, so long ago. (laughs) That's that's, that's calling something from deep in the... Deep in the archives. Absolutely. But I've, I've, ever since I saw that movie, Millie Walke is pretty much the only way that I will ever refer to the great cheese city of uh, Wisconsin. But Cheese city? Cheese, I, it's the cheese city also? I feel like it's a state. cheese state. So I feel like every city enjoys a cheese. We just were, we, we'll get to this in a moment. We, we just spent some time at Miller Park where not you, but several folks getting their nachos were having a very healthy dose of cheese being dolloped on their nachos you i noticed have a nice little drizzle have a nice little just for flavoring just just to put it on there you're not drenching your nachos and cheese like some of the great folks in wisconsin like to do yes but that we can talk about in a little bit we need to do a little bit of wrap up because one of the things about being in chicago which is where we just were is that anthony and i don't have any place to drive to because you take the subway to the ball games in Chicago. So because of that, we weren't really able to get back into the car and kind of wrap up a little bit about our experiences in Chicago. So uh, first I want to start with U.S. Cellular Field. And I just want to touch on a little bit about some of the great, great, great stuff that Martha Joe Black did for us. By now you will have heard our fantastic uh, interview and conversation with Martha Joe, and you have most likely fallen in love with her the way Anthony and I have. But Martha was fantastic, was she not, as far as what, what she did for us the day of the game that uh, we ended up seeing at U.S. Cellular? Totally. She invited us uh, into, once again, into the front office area of uh, U.S. Cellular, and she took us uh, uh, basically through the tunnel and to go out uh, to the field uh, before the game. Now, I feel like had there been batting practice that day, we may have been able to step on the field for batting practices. But uh, since it was a day game, the teams elected not to take cuts in the cage. But after that, Martha took us to uh, get some just tremendous food, just some absolutely gorgeous food. 
Martha took us all around the bowels of, of U.S. Cellular, showing us where the visitors clubhouse was, showing us where the umpires come in and out of, and just really giving us a, a great view of what goes into the inside of a Major League Baseball stadium. So Martha Joe, you are absolutely the best, and uh, thank you so much for that. But uh, Anthony, is there anything you really that that you know you want to say about U.S. Cellular uh, that maybe you didn't get a chance to say the other night? Um, I think I feel like I talked about. What, what, what you know I didn't I didn't love the kind of look of the park I mean the field was nice um, I did there were some good statues um, that that were well done the especially the Frank Thomas statue oh, was so imposing was I mean that really you know sometimes the statues they're a little more artistic or you know they're always artistic but that one really felt like him it felt like it felt like a life size I mean it was life size but it felt like it was actually kind of him in a like encased in whatever it is metal bronze, uh, bronze you know <laughs> it was like that he'd been magically transformed into bronze because um, he felt like his expression it felt like his 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 personality was coming through and it wasn't just the swing you know it was it was kind of cool that way you know his face was really well done you know you'll see a lot of i believe we were in city field and i can't remember who it was May have been Doc Gooden. It was someone who had a bust of themselves in the City Field Hall of Fame Museum, uh, then down there in the main concourse, and it just it looked nothing like him. I mean, it looked terrible. And so I think that the the detail work on Frank's statue and a couple of the other statues. I think Carlton Fisk's uh, statue had his forearms. You could see the veins bulging out of the forearms of the Carlton Fisk statue there, where it just just does. It feels, you know, they had a great. Uh, Luis uh, Aparicio and Nelly Fox kind of tossing a ball back to one another, which, you know, I always love when you get multiple statues involved in kind of a little play acting scenario. Um, you know, it, it's U.S. Cellular, along with, with the White Sox fans and team in general, will always kind of be the second favorite team in Chicago. You know, the Cubs kind of own that city. But I really do think that that park is not... It's it's not it's not great, but I like it. It's got its charm to it. It's what I said um, when I first saw it uh, on my on my thirty stadium tour was, you know, it is built the wrong way. You know, the 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 city of Chicago, the skyline, you can only see if you're walking up the back ramp. When you're sitting in the stands, you're literally looking at nothing. There's nothing in front of you. So kind of the thing that I always maintained, which might not be fair, but this is kind of how I, I talk to my White Sox fans and White Sox friends, is that when you go to Wrigley, it's about the experience of not only just that ballpark, but that city as well. But you don't see the, you don't see the skyline from Wrigley. Yeah, you don't see the skyline, Boston. but you do see the neighborhood around you. You, are, yeah. you. you feel you are situated in Chicago. When you go to the south side, you're kind of, you're taking the train. There really isn't anything outside of U.S. Cellular except for one solitary bar and yes. restaurant. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. But when you're there, it's exclusively about the baseball. It's exclusively about the stuff on the field. And I feel like when you go to Wrigley, it's a little bit sometimes more about the experience, which once again, may not be necessarily, I'm, this isn't a better or worse or bad or good thing. It's just about differences. You know, it's, it's about what makes one ballpark unique. Uh, Wrigley, I think, you know, we, we said quite a bit about uh, our experience at Wrigley, although uh, we did get to take my little niece, Annika, to her first game. Uh, Anthony, you had just spent some time uh, in on the West Coast with your beautiful little nieces. 
How did it feel being able to be? You were a very integral role in my little niece's life now. For the rest of her life, she will know that you were at her first baseball well, game. Well, she's not going to remember it, but, you know, sure. Well, I mean, she remembers it because I've got, I took well, plenty of pictures well, of her. She'll have the memory based on seeing pictures. But exactly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's nice. No, I'm, I'm happy for that, sure. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's not like she'll have the fond memory of gazing at me through her tears when she was getting fussy, you know. Okay, listen, she got fussy a little bit, but she was, she was pretty good for, for the for most of the game. Well, totally, but you know what I'm saying. That it, yes, it's, I, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that I'm part of the... Of her legacy, of her baseball legacy. <laughs> I think you look. You know, you and I have talked to a lot of folk about and asking them, you know, what their memories of going to ballparks. She are. won't have that memory. You don't think that I'm going to implant this memory in her when she's she, five, six it'll years be old? The memory that you tell her, but exactly. Like, but when we're talking to people, it's their own memory of the true. actual, you know, steps they took. That she's is not, true. She's not going to have that memory. Well, who knows? Maybe when she's five, six, seven years old, I'll drag you to a Tigers game with us, and then, you know, it'll be her first real memory that you can be a part of there. But, I mean, and I know I always feel like anything I say about Wrigley, you will always accuse me of being just a homer. <laughs> um, but, honestly, I've now seen 24 of the 30 stadiums, and it is the most beautiful. Everything about it feels like purely about baseball and even and yes there are the little advertisements on the doors in the outfield and there's the Budweiser sign over the one scoreboard and but like it's still everything in your eye is the ivy the sky the walls the basket the bleachers but you don't think but you don't think like Dodger Stadium doesn't have a lot I just don't think I just don't think Dodger Stadium is very nice to look at I feel like it's it's like the it feels very concretey to me really you know it, it, the the old style architecture of Wrigley Field, everything about that that preserved. And what about the, Fenway? Fenway is quirkier. It's not as beautiful to me. Fenway feels like real baseball too, but it's just it's it's quirkier. So uh, the Ivy to me is more beautiful than the Green Monster. Okay. You know what okay. I mean? So I, 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 I get of, that. In terms of sort of just the majestic beauty, the the aesthetic of all of that to me, just it just warms my heart and it makes me feel. Like I can say it with unequivocally that it's the most beautiful. Well, I get that, and listen, and, and when I am, am am kind of busting on you a little bit about being a bit of a homer, you gotta understand, you gotta know that's just that's just me, you know, busting your balls a little bit. Like I always, it's it's tough for me because I, I do wear these two hats where I've spent a lot of my life as trying to be a very very cold, calculating, objective journalist, and the other hat that I wear, which is this absolute lunatic, crazy, passionate fan that you've gotten to know, I think, over, you know, over um, especially these last few weeks of us traveling together and, and being in all these ballparks together, is that, you know, when people ask me about my favorite ballpark, look, it'd be very easy for me to flat out say, it's Tiger Stadium, it's not even a question. Like, it's Tiger Stadium by a country mile. There's not one ballpark on this planet that will come close to Tiger Stadium to me. But it's, it's something that I asked you when we were sitting in the stands today. I don't think that one can rank the stadiums in any type of definitive order because, look, I speak from expertise. You know, I, I believe I'm one of the few people on this planet to have done all 30 parks in the way that I did it. And back to back to back to back, seeing them all within three months of each other, and being able to to compare them to each other that quickly. And I swear, I, I can find something special and unique that I love about all 30. Even the ones that I dislike, I like. And I think with you, 
you have Wrigley, and Wrigley is your Tiger Stadium. You see what I'm saying? Like, you, like Tiger Stadium to me is Wrigley to you. And I'm, I'm gonna say it one more time. Yeah. I think Wrigley is the most beautiful. I agree. So that's what I'm saying. But what do you mean by? I guess though, what what is from when I say beautiful, I mean aesthetically more than PNC. More than PNC. Really? Yes. Interesting. But I think PNC is also beautiful. But I think Wrigley is the most beautiful. I think the Ivy is the most beautiful backdrop at any ballpark. Okay. That is, I believe that we would get a lot of people that would agree with you. And I don't think that you're wrong. And I absolutely do not think that that is a Homer reason why you're choosing it. Exactly. But I, I, I mean, I, like I said, when I do stuff like that, it is just to needle you a little bit because, you know, we're in the car together all the time. We're on the road together. I need to entertain myself a little bit. But you're right. But and it was just nice to have that. I mean, it's all, I've always felt, of course, I feel like the connection to Wrigley, but it's nice to have it affirm going, returning to it after seeing sure. all these ballparks and to just feel that, that sense of beauty overwhelm me again sitting there and then and then to back to back come from there into what to me was really one of the ugliest parks that we've been to this is this really i can't yeah. believe you, you you're really that feel, down on I it i feel like it's so ugly this one is really ugly toronto's ugly um oakland oakland is ugly <laughs> so this was probably okay. the this is probably miller park to me is probably the ugliest of the national league ballparks at least off the top of my head i'd have to probably go through them one Did you think one. that Nationals Park was ugly or just boring? Yeah, it's not as ugly. It's it. I feel like Nationals Park is sort of doesn't have a lot of character, but it doesn't. It didn't really strike me as super ugly. But it. I mean, I I prefer that sort of the the color scheme of National Park wasn't as ugly to me as something about the, the the quality of the green at Miller Park. Too. We saw a day game at Nationals Park, correct? Yeah, we saw a day yeah, game. Yeah, see, I wish we could have seen it at night because at night when uh, the W lights up a little bit and you get a little bit of lights there, Nationals Park does get a little bit nicer. Um, we talked about it on our Nationals Park episode, which, you know, uh, you should all go back and take a listen to. But, you know, uh, Nationals Park is, is, is a park that... I like, but I think it is, it's cursed with being a young franchise right now without a lot of history to really talk about yet or, or to show off yet. And so they haven't had time to really build a unique identity for themselves. I think they will in, you know, over the years. I think it will develop into a much cooler, better place to watch a ball game. But I just, I'm, I'm genuinely shocked at how... Is Miller Park beautiful? Absolutely not. Well, I mean, the I, thing is, people had said that it was. So I was, I was. Well, it's because, well, it's because the. It to be beautiful. I'm telling you, it's because, and there's literally no way for me to be able to prove this to you. I mean, I've got some photos that I took from the last time I was here. Maybe that will help you. But when the roof is open, when the sun is out, the way that that park feels so different. I told you, today, if had this been my first time at Miller Park, I would not have been as high on it as I was in the past. But the first time I was here, it was such a gorgeous night and the roof was open and it just, it felt so much nicer. I genuinely believe, and I'm taking, like I said, this has nothing to do with you being a Cubs fan. This has nothing to do with you being anything. I just think that you came to this ballpark on the worst possible night for you to come see this ballpark as a fan. Okay. I still don't see how that would really make it because we were seeing it with the lights on, you know. Like, the lights are, but it's artificial lighting. Lighting is, who cares about lighting? Yeah, but I mean, it's when, the, I, when you're in PNC at night with the lights, and it's, yes, you're seeing the Clemente Bridge, which is part of the beauty, but still the quality of the light doesn't feel drab and ugly on the field. 
It's you know a, what I mean? It's, I understand there's still, what you're saying. We're seeing the bank of lights. There's even something about that, that the color of the painting, or I don't even know what it was. It just all felt sort of drab and ugly. I understand what you're saying. Like and, I, did, I feel like there's a lot to say about it being a drab and ugly day and that just making everything around. I know for me, I'm once again, I'll only speak for me personally. When it's drab and ugly out, I tend to feel drab and ugly about the world and, and you know, just... I start, I start filtering things. Well, I don't know why I'm defending Miller Park this much. It's not even, you know, it's, it's, I'd like it. And I wish that you could have seen it at its best. And it's sad to me that you saw it at what I would assume is its worst. Um, but, and you know, and the Brewers right now aren't playing. I mean, right now they're, they're uh, as we're recording this, they were coming off kind of a hot streak, but really in their division, they probably aren't gonna, uh, uh, have much success so i think that 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 the fact the crowd really wasn't that into it the fact that that it was kind of a smaller crowd may have no i'm talking purely when i look purely visual purely aesthetics i had a really negative experience the instant i looked inside that field and nothing about it improved to me as i was sitting there watching well i'm done defending it i'm blaming it on the weather but you know as you said while we were sitting there, this is really the first part that you and I have strongly disagreed on. Um, and thinking forward into the future, I'm pretty sure it's going to be the last one that we probably do disagree on. Um, just because we've got some really, really nice ones coming up and one or two particularly bad ones. But uh, there was something that did happen during this game that I think we need to talk about. We're going to take just a brief break so that Anthony and I can tell you about our first giveaway. I have a 2016 baseball stadium's wall calendar for sale through TF Publishing. They're available at amazon.com, calendars.com, as well as your local Meyer Big Lots, Stop and Shop and more. I'll include all this info about how you can purchase one of my uh, calendars at my website, roundingthird.net. But for now, Anthony has a very exciting announcement to tell you all about. So uh, we're gonna have our first giveaway. It's a giveaway contest. Here, it's very simple. Uh, we are always looking for more trivia questions to ask our our guests for their for the game that we play at the end. Um, so if you have any cool trivia questions about your favorite team or about any team that you love or anything, send them to us, please, at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at clubhousepod, and we will look through those and if we wind up using one of your questions we will give you a free signed wall calendar and it will be signed by Manish who was the photographer he will sign the Detroit Tigers Comerica Park picture and I will sign the Wrigley Field picture because I am a diehard Cubs fan so send us your questions please and uh, good luck if you are a new listener to the Clubhouse podcast welcome for more great baseball conversations please take a look at our archives like our chat with Tony Award-winning composer Tom Kitt. In this clip, Tom reveals that his father was actually a minor league pitcher with the Yankees. My father uh, is a former professional baseball player. My father actually was drafted by the Yankees. My father has a lot of expertise and often will expound his, uh, his <laughs> wisdom for the for the game. But um, yes, but those are the kinds of conversations. And you know, if a guy's, if, if my dad, my dad was a left-handed pitcher and threw in the in the upper nineties, and he was a starter. But if he's going and he's feeling good, let the guy throw. Absolutely. You know, because at the end of the day, your best pitcher, righty lefty, is going to be a better matchup than a weaker guy. Who, who, who might have a, a curveball advantage, you know? 
And now we take you back in the car as Anthony and I discuss a scary incident we witnessed at Miller Park. There was something that did happen during this game that I think we need to talk about. And that is uh, a woman that was sitting a section away from us. So maybe what, 20 feet, 30 feet? Pretty close, pretty close to where, where Anthony and I were sitting. There was a hot shot off of uh, the bat of, I'm actually not sure who was at bat uh, at the time. Um, I will look into that and put it on the clubhousepodcast.com show notes. But she wasn't paying attention and the ball came flying at her at, I'm gonna assume 100 plus miles per hour and smacked her square in the face. And it was terrifying. And she was, down for quite a while. The, the, the play on the field um, was suspended while the, the people who worked at Miller Park came to her aid. And, and to their credit, they, they rushed. I mean, there was, there was like a vendor right near her and, and he signaled somebody and they got, everybody got to her right away. And we, you know, I, there were a lot of people around standing and so we weren't you know i didn't you know i didn't want to like pry and sort of stick my nose in what was happening but i could see enough that i mean there was blood streaming down her face it was really intense and it's funny because it's not funny it's last week when we were at uh city field there was also similar very very similar kind of situation where uh, uh it's the kind of foul ball that it's not the it's not the foul ball that's pulled it's the foul ball that goes off the end of the bat so it goes the opposite way to the hitter um another kind of rocket off of a left-handed hitter. In this case, we were sitting in, at City Field, we were sitting on the, on the third base line. And the same thing, he was looking down at his phone or something, probably his phone. And so he, was, he didn't see it coming at him and he was, he was hit right in the nose. I mean, he, I literally saw it happen. He was hit in the nose and then he looked up and his nose, like it was just streaming blood. So, but he was, he was okay, he probably has a broken nose, but was relatively okay, all things being equal. Um, this lady was, way worse off than him. And I don't know if the ball hit her in the eye, above the eye, but it just seemed like it was really bad. And it took, I don't know, a good 10, 15 minutes, maybe more, for them to be able to get her up enough so that she could be escorted out safely. So it was just, it, it, we just thought as we were walking out of the park, it, it would just be, I don't know, an interesting thing to interesting thing to talk about because of course part of the any of these sports we all you know we all love this game and we all go to enjoy ourselves but you have to keep paying attention at all times if you're sitting anywhere near the field you know anything can happen and we certainly hope that she's okay i think that she's i mean she was as far as we could tell walking she, with yes she, yes yes she was so i i saw her you know kind of similar to anthony i didn't really want to look um, and pry, and you know, nothing annoys me more than rubberneckers on a highway. It just let the professionals do their job and and stay out of the way. But I did see kind of through the crack, through some people's uh, uh, hands that I could see through to her face, and she was profusely bleeding. She had she had held her hand up to her, as Andy said, up to her eye, and her entire side of her face was covered in in, in blood. I apologize for those of you who may be a bit squeamish, um, and. The one thing I was staring at and looking for was, because it didn't look like she was moving. And there was a while that Anthony and I were worried that she may have been unconscious. But I did see her hand, uh, she was holding somebody else and squeezing uh, the hand. I did see her fingers squeezing the hand, which immediately made me, you know, uh, breathe a little bit of a sigh. 
of relief. I have been unfortunate enough that I've, I've been in some horribly bad car accidents in my life and facial lacerations are the worst. When that happens in the in, in your forehead, which is what's happened to me several times, it is just a geyser. It is just, it, it's, it's, there's so much blood pumping through that part of your body. It just, it, it, it's really scary. But she was able to stand uh, with the help of a couple of other people and they strapped her to a stretcher and they got her out of there. Um, by the time you will have heard this episode, I'm hoping that we all have all had some great, great news that she's on the mend and that it just was a couple of stitches and she's going to be fine. That's that's what I'm hoping. Um, but, you know, this happened uh, a bit ago with, with the woman in Boston as well. And uh, listen, we need, we need to just make sure all of you out there we really want you to come to live baseball games. I love going to live baseball games. But if you come to live baseball games, if you pay the money to sit in the in the seats where, where the balls have a chance of coming at you, you got to be aware of your surroundings. And if you're if, if there's a left-handed batter up and you're sitting on the third base side, keep your head up. Similar, if there's a right-handed batter up and you're sitting on the first base side, keep your head up. I mean... Yeah, I mean, it's, I, would, I would imagine that if you are really watching the feel that you could probably get your hand up at the very least in front of your face for something like that, you know what I mean? You it's, could, you could look, yes, these balls are coming at you at 100 plus miles per hour, but one would hope that your reflexes are good enough that, I mean, look, we, you and I both saw that ball come off the bat enough to where our heads followed the ball to where it was going. It's fat, you know, it's coming fast, but you can move your head or put your hand up or try to cover your face or do something where you're not getting a direct hit. It's not, it can't, a direct hit to the skull just cannot happen. Yeah. So we, you know, we wish her well and just, you know, it's, it's one of those really crazy situations. Of course, anything can happen to any of us at any time. So take care of yourself and be safe, I guess. It's just a, you know, it's not often that in just, you're, you know, we're at a, at a sporting event or an entertainment, you know, having some entertainment and, and having kind of a, a moment of truth, life lesson situation, but a, that was sort of what it was for us too. And, and you know, and it's weird when stuff, I mean, weird might be the wrong word to use there, but it's, it's when, when stuff like that happens, I mean, you could feel, I mean, this happened in the eighth inning, and, and there was definitely, the energy in that building was rightfully sucked right out because how do you, what do you do in that scenario? You know, I, I think a couple of pitches later, you know, I, I, I'm seeing the ball come inside. You know, I'm seeing whoever was on the mound. I don't think it was Corey Knebel at that point. Whoever was on the mound at, the, at that point, like he's got to do his job. And I'm seeing him throwing inside pitches. I'm like, oh, that just... It was Neil Cotts, wasn't it? It may have been. It was Neil Cotts. Yeah. But just to... I mean, kudos to the ball players for being able to to, to play through that. Because look, these are the guys that have the balls coming straight at them. You know, I've I've we we talked about it on the Jimmy Pardo uh, episode that as a little leaguer, I was terrified of the ball. You know, I sat there in the box and I was I was Henry Rowan Gardner in, in Rookie of the Year, sitting in the back corner as as far back as I could go, so I would not get hit with the ball. When something like that happens and you've got this visual of, a, of now a human person getting struck in the face of the ball, I don't know how you right, get right back into it and then and, and, and dig in. What's well, amazing that Giancarlo Stanton, oh. you know, well, of course, now he in the crazy, weird uh, <laughs> injury world of weird injuries that do happen to big sluggers sometimes as he broke one of his small bones in his hand on a swing. He's <laughs> just a strong swung so hard that his, bo- his hand broke. Um, <laughs> 
which is crazy. You have to the, laugh at that, but I mean, it but, is, it's, it's, it's hysterical. It's absurd. Yeah. Um, but that he had been, for those of you who may or may not know, last season, you know, he's, he's a huge slugging uh, outfielder for the, for the Miami Marlins, who at this point in the season, he had already had almost, almost 30 home runs, I think, right? So last year he was, on, he was hitting a million home runs, but he got hit squarely in the face and it broke his face getting hit in the face as 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 it as it would do a 90 plus however fast the ball was hitting him squarely in the face and now he wears understandably a, a, a specially designed mask over a part of his face that's part of part of his batting helmet this custom design face mask situation and there was there were, there were a lot of people questioning whether he was going to be able to stay in his at bats in a in the way that you need to as a major league ball player with these balls coming at him, was he, was he going to be a little bit gun shy after such a terrible incident as he had last year? And, you know, he was, Oh, he, I maybe at first in the season, it seemed like maybe he was not quite as squaring it up as, but he, he, as the season wore on pretty quickly, he started hitting a million home runs again. So, you know, it's 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 amazing that that he and so many other people who've had other situations. Well, Brandon McCarthy to... got hit in the head. Jay Happ got hit in the head. As far as pitchers are concerned, that's been happening quite a bit of pitchers taking comebackers off the off the skull, off the face, off the what have you. And now there are, I think, there's the Mets reliever and there's a couple of the pitchers now that are wearing kind of the the extra padding foamed hats that are out there. Um, what are your thoughts? I guess, you know, you never, never really talked about, um, I mean, obviously, look, I think you and I would both agree that however to keep these players safe, that's what, that should be a priority. But if you were someone and you were a ball player, let's say you hadn't been hit yet, right? So you're just, you're, you've been a professional ball player for 10 years. Would you preemptively, do you think, wear something to protect yourself or would it be, since baseball is such a sport of repetition and ritual and all of that, would you not want to change anything about your the uniform you've been wearing for X amount of years? Oh, I don't know. I've, I've you know, it's so so hypothetical. I imagine I'd probably consider wearing like the the shin guards that they wear because I think like fouling a ball oh. off your ankle or your shin would be the <laughs> most painful thing that could ever happen. I think I, I can't, if I've told the story on the podcast, forgive me for repeating myself, but one time I was just playing catch in, in a, in a, um, like a garage area. So it was concrete floor and I stupidly, like I was wearing shorts and somebody just sort of like kind of bounced a ball my way. And I thought, well, I'll kind of like try to soccer kick it, you know, stop it like a hacky sack, <laughs> you know, cause it was like, I, I didn't, you know, it was such a weird, awkward bounce yeah. like to try to get a glove on. It would have been weird. <laughs> So when I did that, it, it skipped up and, and hit me squarely in the, in the knee. And it wasn't even traveling that with that much velocity. Uh -huh. And it still hurt worse than almost any other feeling I've ever had. I'm telling my knee actually just stung just hearing that. It's, it's, I, I think we've all been struck on that part of, of the body at a certain point. And it's just the stinging sensation. And you rub it, and you rub it, and you rub it. And it just, it's just. I mean, as a major league, you're not supposed to rub it. You're supposed <laughs> to just take your base. I mean, I know. what the hell? So I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine. Like, you know, Anthony Rizzo on the Cubs has been hit. 17 times this season? I, th I mean, but by the time you're hearing this, that number is probably a lot more than, than it is now, but it's, it's, I agree with you. I mean, when, when nowadays they just call them, you know, 
it's it's a whatever forearm contusion or what have you. But these guys have bruises for weeks on end, and it is it hurts. I mean, it's it's so yes. I think the the shin guards, the elbow guards. I mean, people will get very very upset at some of these guys who now look like robo baseball players out there with all these different gear on that maybe they're a little bit more prone to getting hit by pitches now because their their uh, uh, shields are being hit. But honestly, once again, I'm not the one taking a 90-plus a mile-per-hour fastball off the elbow in April or in, yeah. in, in October, yeah, or October in Detroit. Yeah. I can't even imagine the the stinging sensation. I mean, people talk about how just, like, fouling off a ball in April or October can make your whole arm hurt. Oh, yeah. From, like, the cold and, you know. And oh. So it just reminds me of, correct me if I'm wrong, but Craig Biggio is the, the the most hit batter of all time, right? Yes. And he's in the Hall of Fame. And he was, by the end, of, I don't know if he was always wearing this much gear, but he was definitely wearing gear by the end of his career. Like, he had a big a big arm guard on. Listen, sure. I'd be the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man out there. I would, I would wear... I mean, part of me says, hey, have some pride, be a man, and just wear the hat and wear the whatever. But, you know, I'd, I'd John Allerud it. You know, I'd have the helmet on the base pads. I'd have, you know, I'm not trying to get hit by any of these things. I want as, as much protection as humanly possible. But I, I, I mean, there's, I wonder if I'll be able to find it on, on, online. There was a picture, if you remember, uh, you may, you should, I mean, you may remember this as a Cubs fan. Do you remember when Sammy, when Sammy Sosa got hit in the head? Yes. It was before, actually, it's what led to his eventual suspension for the corked bat. Because when he came back from that injury, that's when he used the corked bat with his excuse being that, you know, he was so nervous he just wanted to get uh, uh, a little extra advantage to get back on the swing of things. But I distinctly remember, and if I can't find it and it's not on clubhousepodcast.com, any of you out there, if you have access to this photo, please send it my way because it was one of my favorite pictures. I can't remember if it was Sports Illustrated or ESPN or, or just Getty Images, whoever it was. But it was a photo of Sammy getting hit in the helmet and the helmet shattering and little shards of the helmet going everywhere and just his face, you know, being contorted with this pitch. And all I could think of back then was the sound. The sound in your head, in your ears, of a 90-plus mile-per-hour fastball clanging up against it and and just ringing in your ears. And then once again, having to take an at-bat X amount of months later and, and hearing that ball whiz by you, I couldn't do it. Yeah, I think it would be really hard. So kudos to all of these ballplayers for all sorts of reasons anyway, <laughs> but especially because that alone of having to face down these situations and having the courage to do so. It's amazing. It absolutely is. You know, I, I if we can ever figure out how to get the wonderful Hal Morris, uh, Anthony's awesome, amazing brother-in-law on this podcast, because he's such a busy, busy man, I would love to ask him. Uh, I would imagine he'd been hit in his career. I can't imagine that anyone's gone through their career and not been hit. It's actually an interesting stat. All, for all you Sabermetrics uh, stat heads out there, if any of you know if there's a... a uh, any player who's had, let's just call it, you know, a 5'10", you know, a, 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 an official, not, you know, a one at bat, but an actual Major League Baseball career and not gotten hit, uh, I would be interested to see if that's ever happened. But I'd love to talk to Hal and see, you know, what that is like um, to get hit, not just in the back or in the leg or in the arm, but to get hit s- square 
and then have to take in you know an at bat against that same pitcher again, and what's going through your mind? And then there's the whole thing too about like when uh, when pitchers on the on your team will throw at the other another batter when there's been a hit. You know, there's there's a whole code, this unspoken code of you know being there for your fellow players, and I don't even know the all of that. You know, which is a whole other interesting thing. And then when there's fights that break out between dugouts and all that. Well, the fights are always interesting to me because for the most part, I mean, every once in a while you'll get a good knockdown, drag out, haymakers are being thrown. But for the most part, it's just a bunch of blustering. And my actual, my absolute favorite part of a bench is clearing brawl are the bullpen guys who clearly want nothing to do with this, who are just enjoying themselves in their little oasis, and they don't want to come, but they have to, and they have to support, and you'll see them come jogging out. Half of them will be holding on to gum or whatever in their pockets so they don't fall out, and they'll half-heartedly get to the pile, kind of look from the background, and be like, all right, you all set? Cool. We're going to head back to our, our kingdom now and just kind of mess around back there. But retaliation pitches... That is something that are very real, and I'm absolutely fascinated that we still allow them to exist in 2015. Well, we, I mean, I, I think overall the umpiring crews jump on them right away all the time that I see anymore. They jump on them, but it's still just warnings. It's not immediate. I feel like at this point, because you can tell for the most part when someone's being thrown at. And now here's the thing. I'm actually not entirely sure where I fall in this debate because I know uh, Justin Verland of the Detroit Tigers is very open, very, very open about you do anything to disrespect us or our team and you're getting one in the back. He is, he said it, he's done it, he doesn't care. And I think the fact that he's saying, I'm going to throw it at your back or whatever. Well, but yeah, but so he'll do that. So he say he'll throw somebody, but then usually right away now, the umpires will, if they can tell it's a purpose, but if they feel very strong it's a purpose, pitch, they will immediately warn both benches. Usually they used to just warn the one bench. Yeah. But now I think generally they're warning both benches and then immediately as soon as another hitter is hit with what's, you know, when it's clearly not just a ball that like hit their shoe or, right. you know, got away. Yeah, a breaking ball inside that just slipped. You know, that, that, that happens and, you know, what, that, that's baseball. So, but they will immediately throw people out. Like they're gonna, they're gonna act. Like I feel like they've jumped on this much harder and faster in the last couple of years than they than they used to. Sure, the days of of uh, uh, Piazza and Clemens, you know, Piazza getting buzzed and then uh, Clemens throwing the bat back at him and all that. I feel like those uh, those days hopefully are over. Although, like I said, I love me a bench clearing brawl. I I as as sad as it was in the moment and scary in the moment, I will never not laugh at, <laughs> at, little, at little Zimmer, little Don Zimmer, hustling out there in the Yankees-Red Sox brawl, and he is with a head of steam and his little bald head, he's lowering it, and he's going, and the look on Pedro Martinez's face of just, what do I do? How do I deal with this? How do I deal with this crazy old man who's coming running at me and just <laughs> grabbing his head, his big old melon, and throwing it to the ground? May he rest in peace. May he rest. And here's the deal. Don Zimmer is up there, and he is laughing about that because how can you not? And I guarantee you, well, I can't guarantee you, but I hope that Pedro mentions Zim in his Hall of Fame speech, and I hope he gives him a little bit of a shout-out because that was just... And I love that, and, you know, and, and 
for the most part, people, I mean, I know Granky got hurt, I believe it was maybe last year, the year before, in a, in a bit of a scuffle with the Diamondbacks. So there are times when these pitchers do, or these players do get hurt in bench-clearing brawls. But, like I said, for the most part, it is just, you know, blustering and kind of trying to, to rile up the crowd and rile up the fans a bit. Yeah, but, I mean, I'm also profoundly anti-violence. So, you know, I mean, like, keep your heads on, boys. Just play the game. <laughs> So I think with that, you know, uh, I think our, our thesis statement for, for this week's episode of the Clubhouse Podcast is if you're in the stands, please pay attention. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you next time here in the Clubhouse. The home base for the Clubhouse Podcast is the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse located at 67 East 11th Street in New York City. Seriously, folks, this is without a doubt my favorite baseball spot in the country. From the baseball-inspired artwork on the walls to the one-of-a-kind memorabilia for sale and the amazing baseball fans that are always hanging out on the bleachers inside the store, this place is just the best. If you can't make it into Bergino's in person, please visit Bergino.com and pick up a gift for your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, anyone, or even just yourself. If you can make it in, make sure you mention the podcast to get a free bag tag with any purchase. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes and share this with your fellow baseball friends. Leave us a five-star review and a comment. That just makes it easier for other folks to find out about our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at ClubhousePod. Visit our website, clubhousepodcast.com, for extensive links and information about some of the baseball moments we discuss on the show. There are also photos from our cross-country road trip for you to peruse at your leisure. We love hearing from our listeners and getting you involved with the discussion. So please, Email us at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com. Tell us about your favorite baseball stories, your favorite baseball films, why your team or ballpark is so special. Or honestly, just if you want to say hello. The Clubhouse is produced by Zach McNeese. The website and logo were designed by Ronan Jora. You can follow Anthony and I individually at MJ for me and at AlbinoKid for Anthony. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome week.